Swamiji, I understand that you have put your mind to a new system of psychology that you're calling directional psychology. Yes. Would you explain a little bit about what that's all about? Well, you know, I think that we tend to think, especially in the West, we have these absolutes of things this way or this way. We need to see that um, perfection is something to be achieved in a gradual way. You can't just suddenly say, I'm perfect. You have to grow toward it. And so it is that anything that you have to overcome psychologically needs to, it's sort of like a ladder. Anything above you is good, anything below you is bad. We can put it that way. In fact, it's literally true in the, in the body that in the spine, that which is above you is where you're trying to grow evolutionally. That which is below you is the animal. Now, wherever you are on that ladder, everything below you will be wrong, everything above you will be right. Directional psychology will point you in an upward direction toward that and in a gradual way so that you can't say that absolutely it's wrong to um, tell a lie. What uh, it may be sometimes better to uh, say to somebody who's ill, you don't look too bad, then you look terrible. <laughs> that kind of thing. I think that really you're asking me a question that would require a great deal of thought and answer. I've offered the principle and I've urged people to work it out, but I haven't worked it out myself. I think that it, it needs a great deal of study. But I think that in psychology, there's too many absolutes. For example, the Indian mentality is a million shades of gray, whereas the Western mentality is black or right, white. Right, that kind of thing, yes. So just exploring that concept a little bit more, Swamiji, um, so if a person has had a traumatic childhood, for example, you wouldn't recommend going through that bin of memories and sorting No, I would things. try to replace those memories with good ones. I don't think there's anything to be gained by going over and over and over. Yogananda, my guru, used to say that you can't get rid of darkness in a room by beating at it. Turn the light on. And so the, the uh, faults that people have, don't concentrate on the faults, concentrate on their opposite virtues. This is a very revolutionary concept, Swamiji. Well, I think so. I think it's an important one, too. Because people, after they've gone through a lot of psychological analysis, still end up fixated on the past. Very well, often. my mother treated me this way, and that's why I'm the way I am. That's that's really one of the big problems with psychology is it gives you a, the opportunity to blame everybody else. Work on yourself. Work on your, if you have uh, a weakness in one way, think of a strength that you've got that will help to overcome that weakness. Don't just meddle in all that mud. And so if you have uh, a fear, for example, how would you overcome that fear? I have found that almost always the things people are afraid of, it's like the White Queen in Through the Looking Glass, Alice in Wonderland, you know? And she 
says, oh, 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 what's the matter? She, I'm afraid to prick myself. Then she's peaceful. Ellie says, what, how are you, why are you peaceful? Now? Oh, I prick myself. <laughs> and so it is that people are afraid of things, but once they've had them, once it's occurred, okay. So I think the best cure for fear is often to visualize very clearly, just accept that that thing happens. Oh, all right, then it happens. Okay, supposing you lose all your money, you're afraid of money, people jump off of buildings because they've lost their money. But once all the dust is settled, you settle down to a new life and uh, you, you can make a go of it. So accept what you're afraid of, look at it, face it, and say, what do I do now? I think that's the best cure. But as long as it's some skeleton in the closet, you never know what is going to pop out at you, then, of course, you're, you're always in fear. Fear of the unknown. Swamiji, um, in the Indian tradition, there's the concept of karma, action that has results. And people often will make the excuse that, well, it's my karma that I had such and so happen to me, and then they don't work at changing it. And it seems that we sort of have to ask the question, it's, wor it's worthwhile to try to change things that need changing. You can't get rid of your karma, but you can work at it. To say, oh, it's my karma, therefore I'm weak, that's, that's saying like, I'm born poor, I can't become rich. If you put out the energy, you can become rich. If you put out the energy, you can overcome failure and be a success. You can overcome any bad karma, and it may take a longer time. For example, in my life, I know that in past lives, I've had the problem of serious doubts. What's right? What's true? All my childhood, I used to ask, why, why, why? But it's been a buzzing in the end, because it's helped me to help other people, it's helped me finally to face these fears of doubts and say, well, no, I understand now. So you can overcome your karma if you work at it in a positive way. Don't just cower in the dark. And that ties in with that concept of directional psychology. Exactly. Directional exactly. growth. We, wherever we are, we can become better. You can't just leap to the top of a building but you can climb one rung of the ladder upward. I'm curious, Swamiji, how do we evaluate where we are on that ladder? Well, we can't evaluate. That's too difficult to say. But we can see that certain things make us happier. There's a book that I've written. It's really not for children, although it seems like it. It's called The Time Tunnel. And in this story, People go forward uh, a thousand years into the future. And in that thousand-year future, there's a school that this, this uh, person goes to to hear how they teach children. And he's, he, well, to give, to give the lesson more immediacy, he says to this girl, Rachel, what is your favorite dessert? And she says, apple strudel. <laughs> okay, so he says, supposing your mother gives you an apple strudel, you'll be very happy, won't you, for lunch? So she takes it home to school with her. And of course, I'd love that. But now supposing you have a boy 
who is weeping because he's been deeply hurt, and you know that this little bit of Apfelstrudel will comfort him. Would you like to share it with him? Well, gee, I don't know. I, I, well, think of it. You don't enjoy your Apfelstrudel once it's done. You've eaten it and it's gone. Whereas if you help him, it can be a lifelong memory for him. Oh, yes, well, I can see that. And so she begins, then he tells her, if you gave it all to him, just think of the friendship that you would form as opposed to the little temporary pleasure of that dessert. And so she understands that in giving, she finds a happiness that she couldn't find just from the thing. So in anything that we do, we can tell whether it's right for us, best of all, by the, by the yardstick of our own peace of mind, our own happiness. Jesus Christ said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed because we feel more bliss. When you do the right thing, there is a feeling of harmony with the universe, harmony within your own self. There's a feeling of rightness. When you do the wrong thing, you may feel good temporarily, but in the wrong, long run, there's something wrong with it. It's, 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 has, it leaves a sour taste. Swamiji, it seems like in the West, we need examples. We need, uh, in, in the East, or particularly in India, there's a tradition of guru, someone who is wise that, that one goes to. In the West, we don't seem to have as much of that. Well, that's our fault. We've got saints. We've got Jesus Christ. We've got masters. We've got good people. And we make Horatio Alger our model. We make Rockefeller our model. We make um, economic wolves and tigers our model. That's our fault. But I hope that those people with a little bit of common sense will see that there are some people who have what I really want, which is happiness, and then let me follow their model. There's everything in, everybody in the world is motivated by two desires. One, to avoid pain. The other, to find happiness. And happiness is really a lower octave of bliss. Pleasure is a lower octave of happiness. So you've got pleasure, which can be a very dark kind of pleasure, which would be a lower octave still. So you go up an octave to pleasure, up an octave from there to happiness, up an octave finally to bliss. God's nature is bliss. In uh, India, they define God as Satchitananda, ever-existing, ever-conscious, ever-new bliss. And that finally is what we, you see, God didn't create this universe the way you might create a table. He had nothing to make it out of. He had to dream it. it has, it's a part of his consciousness. We are a part of his consciousness. We must understand that our goal is to achieve union with that consciousness. Everybody in the world is motivated by this deep-seated desire to go back to our source in bliss. And that's why we look for happiness. Or if our minds are still darkened for pleasure. Or if they're still more darkened than for darker pleasures like revenge or power and so on. But all of us, ultimately, they're having, we're trying to climb that ladder 
toward perfect bliss. This is the goal of life. If everybody could understand that, it would make life so simple. My guru came into this world to help people to understand that everything really is very simple. If you do reduce it to these universal truths, which everybody is a part of, I, I think that everybody can recognize and feel inspired when they see real goodness, when they see real kindness, when they see nobody, even the worst criminal, can't help being inspired by beautiful attitudes. He may misinterpret them in the beginning, but in the end, there's something in us all that is divine, that responds to the divine in all things. We all want divine bliss.